Good morning. Hey, I just want to add um, a, a couple of words to what Brian said about baptism, okay? Um, and so this is really, really important. If your child was baptized as an infant or your grandchild was baptized as an infant, um, it is really, really critical that you do some things in order to reinforce that baptism over the years, okay? So you should know the day on which your child or grandchild was baptized, and you should celebrate that day every single year, okay? You should talk about it often, okay? You should share, oh, I remember when you were baptized. I remember how much, I, how joy, how much joy I felt, okay? Because what often happens is sometimes we baptize a kid, an infant, and then we just don't talk about it, okay? And what ends up happening is that uh, later on, they leave the faith, okay? And so you, as parents and grandparents, you are the first and primary disciplers of your children. It's not Janae. It's not Joy, okay? You are the primary disciplers of your children, I don't want you to ever forget that. You bear the image of Jesus Christ in you, and you need to make sure you pass that on to them. Okay? All right. Wow. End of, uh, I'm not sure if that was a rant, but uh, (laughs) I was feeling it. (laughs) Okay. So let's read the scripture for this morning. It's from Mark chapter 10. Uh, Verses 17 through 31, I'm reading from the New International Version. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then could be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man... This is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. 
Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Maybe he hadn't. But <laughs> truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Wow. Whew. This becomes a classic encounter in the Gospel of Mark, repeated in uh, Matthew 19 and Luke 18. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, so how would you discuss, answer that question? Uh, turn to someone in the choir or in your pews, and I'm going to give you a minute to talk to each other about that. How would you answer the question? Go. Okay, I hope you had some really good conversation. Here's my answer. Okay, here's my answer. You must place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Your works will not save you. Your status will not save you. Your power will not save you. Your abilities will not save you. Your wealth will not save you. Your accomplishments will not save you. Being a covenant partner of Good Shepherd Presbyterian Church will not save you. Hear me on this. Just because a mouse gets in the cookie jar doesn't make the mouse a cookie. <laughs> you may be a covenant partner of Good Shepherd, but that's not what saves you. Your renunciation of sin is what saves you. You're placing your trust in, faith, in Jesus Christ alone is what saves you. Now, did you know that the altar call is a recent phenomena from about 1825 to 1835? It was originally called the anxious bench or the mourner's bench where people would come to confess their sins and be saved. Charles Grandison Finney made it a feature of his revivals. But you would not have found that in George Whitfield or Jonathan Edwards, who were Calvinists. They understood that only the Holy Spirit can convict us of sin, and only the Holy Spirit can draw us to faith in Jesus Christ. You can go back to Acts chapter 2. 
and see that it was the power of the Holy Spirit that moved 3,000 people to confess their faith in Jesus Christ that day. Peter was an instrument of the Holy Spirit. But it was the Holy Spirit. It wasn't Peter. It wasn't the other apostles that draws us to faith. Okay? So we don't know this man's name. We know that he had great wealth. In Luke 18, we learn that he was a ruler. In Matthew 19, we learn that he was a young man, hence the rich young ruler. <laughs> but we never know his name. So Jesus gives a list of commandments uh, from the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud. Now, this may be the command in the Ten Commandments about not coveting, but commentators have argued about that. So defraud and stealing are fairly similar. So some commentators note that to covet is more of an emotional thing. And that's maybe why Jesus left that command out. It's not wrong to want something, but it is wrong to want something that someone else has. And then he mentions honor your father and mother. Now, neither Matthew uh, 19 nor Luke 18 have the words, you shall not defraud. Matthew 19 does have the words, love your neighbor as yourself. So there's a couple of possibilities here. Uh, Jesus may have had this conversation with more than one individual. Or Matthew, Mark, and Luke may have picked it up from oral tradition, repeated over the years, and may have each recorded it in a slightly different way. Okay, um, I, quick aside, I love that the Bible has been scrutinized, okay? When we come to the, uh, the resurrection account on Easter morning, on, on Easter morning, I'm going to be preaching on Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. But there's a longer ending to Mark as well. And this is honesty on the part of the translators. Everything is up for review, until 1946, the oldest translation of the Old Testament was the Masoretic text that was compiled between the 7th and 10th centuries after Jesus' resurrection. And the oldest copy was from the 11th century. Okay, In 1946, a Bedouin teenager named Muhammad Ed-Dib was throwing rocks and heard something break and he discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, which took us from the 11th century back to as many as 300 years to 100 years before Jesus. It's amazing, right? Now think about this with me, right? What commands does Jesus leave out? So first, uh, therefore, and scholars uh, disagree about the one about coveting, right? So first, Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. Okay? Now, you shall have no other gods before me. It isn't too much of a stretch to say that this individual does have a god before God, and that god is wealth. Now, I want to make this exceptionally clear. I believe that all of us have challenges with money and consumerism. <laughs> 
you know, I think I brought maybe a third, maybe a quarter of my clothes uh, from, uh, uh, from St. Louis here. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and some of them are like uh, warm winter clothing, you know, wool shirts and all that kind of stuff. I've seen some of you wearing those. <laughs> you don't know what winter is actually like. <laughs> but, but, um, but, you know, I, I wonder if, if I could just get rid of all of that, if I, if I really need it, all right? Um, all of us have challenged with money and consumerism, particularly in our culture. Now, this, this week I discovered a, a website, How Rich Am I?, <laughs> It will calculate your worth after taxes. Now, note, a, a web, the website wants to lead you to a place to make contributions to charitable organizations, so be warned if you decide to go there and look it up, okay? Right? But for instance, if you're single and you're living alone and you make $58,000 after taxes, you are in the 1% of the world's wealthiest people. If you are married and you make $52,000 after taxes and you have two kids, you are in the top 10% of the world's wealthy. If you're married and you have two kids and you make $158,000, you are in the top 1% of the world's wealthy. I mean, to to be honest, I think I spent a little bit more time on this website than I should have. <laughs> it's like calculating. <laughs> right? But the point is that many of us in this congregation are among the world's wealthiest people. We don't think about it because that's the culture with which we're familiar. Our nation is, is among the wealthiest nations in the world. And, and we're grateful, right? For all that our nation and our culture have, have provided us, right? We're, we're used to buying and consuming. If I, if I go to Sam's Club and they don't have a nine-gallon jar of mustard, <laughs> everything's bigger at Sam's Club. I'm just going to go to Costco where they're going to have a nine-gallon jar of mustard. Right? Isn't that the way it works? Right? Um, you know, uh, this is funny. Rhonda and I uh, would go to Costco, and everything is bigger at Costco, right? Um, and so you can't just get one jar of peanut butter at Costco. You've got to get two jars, and the jars are, like, really, really big, right? So I wanted some peanut butter in my office. I, th I thought about going to Costco. I went to Vaughn's and got a smaller jar of peanut butter for my office. Maybe there's hope for me. But this is the water in which we swim, and we don't even know we're swimming in it. You know, I'm sure there's blind spots for every culture, but this is the culture you and I live in. So I need to be cautious to think about biblical truth that might go against cultural truth. Okay? So from Exodus chapter 20, verse 4, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. 
Well, you shall not make a graven image or worship it. Again, I see a connection here to worshiping wealth. We, we might tend to think about some images as like statues or monuments or things that we might worship. But some of us have, have worshipped popularity. Some of us have worshipped status. Some of us have worshipped wealth or power. Richard Foster wrote a book called Money, Sex, and Power. Okay? Um, he later retitled the book, The Challenge of the Disciplined Life, Christian Reflections on Money, Sex, and Power. Maybe money, sex, and power hit a little too close to home for many of us. Because those are the things we worship in our culture. Maybe you have your own idol you worship. But when you come to church, you say, I'm fine. Because that's what everybody else is saying. Right? What if you're not fine? What if we actually became a community of transparency? What if, what if we had people in our congregation to whom we could actually confess our sins and, and they would receive that with grace? There are 12 steps and 12 traditions in the Alcoholics Anonymous uh, community. Step number four is to make a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Step number five is to admit to God to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Over the, the, the years, I've been privileged to be a part of many, many step five conversations where people have shared with me the exact nature of their wrongs. I've cherished those moments because here is an individual in total transparency about who they are and what they've done. So from Exodus 20, verse 7, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Uh, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord. Uh, this is the one that often gets translated, uh, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain, okay? It means more than swearing, <laughs> all right? It means more than swearing. Uh, Carmen Imes is a professor at Biola, and she has her PhD from Wheaton and a master's degree from Gordon-Conwell. Dr. Imes believes that we take the Lord's name in vain whenever we fail to represent God in the world. Ouch. That's all of us. Um, here's, here's an example I wish I didn't have to share. I give my day to God. I, I read through the Bible once a year using a different translation each time. Last year I used the contemporary English uh, version. This year Rhonda and I are using the New Living translation. And, I, and then I pray. But then I sometimes take my day back. You too? I mean, really. I'm, you know, and I got to tell you, that never works out well for me. It never works out well. I was like, oh, I got it. I got it, Lord. <laughs> I can do it. I can make it happen. I got this on the strength of my own whatever things I might have, right? And it never works well for me. 
This young man, this ruler, this one who desires to seek eternal life, he comes to, to Jesus with a question, but he leaves because he's wealthy. And I, and I think in, in that way, he's choosing to follow wealth and not God's advancing kingdom. It's so easy for me to cherry pick this man's motives. All of us like to comment on, on what others are doing, right? I can't tell you how many times after a sermon... I've had someone come up to me and say, are you ready? My kids needed to hear that. My wife needed to hear that. My husband needed to hear that. Sometimes they even like elbow their spouse like to make sure they're, they're paying. Not, not that any of you have ever, ever done this before, right? I mean, in what ways might you be failing to represent God in your world. Because that's the point of preaching. It's to convict us and to draw us to faith in Jesus Christ. It's not the preacher. It's the Holy Spirit moving through the preacher. In what ways might I be failing to represent God in my world? And then the next part is remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy did you know that there are actually two specific reasons given for the Sabbath day? You can find one in Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the Sabbath day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And this is the second reason from the, for the Sabbath day from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Now, there's, these are two pretty powerful reasons for the Jewish people. I mean, it, arguably, these are the two most significant events, the creation and the exodus from Egypt. And they're both given as reasons for the Sabbath day. My guess is that this man, this rich young ruler, is, is an ardent follower of Judaism. He really does believe that he's kept all of the commandments from his birth. We also know that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Something unique in the Gospel of Mark, and it's not found in Matthew or Luke. This suggests that Jesus understood his motives. That Jesus really wanted this man to join the group as, as one of the followers of Jesus. Jesus wants him on board. I cannot sure, say for sure how the Sabbath plays into this interaction. But I know the first three commands all touch on the man's wealth. But I also hear the wisdom of Dr. Imes. The challenge is not for me to figure out why this man walks away. The challenge is for me to figure out what would make me walk away. The challenge is for me to represent Jesus in every moment of my life. When I'm with my family, when I'm with my friends, when I'm with my neighbors, when I'm at work, when I'm at the other places I hang out, the gym or the coffee shop or the bowling alley, you're going to hear this from me often. We are all full-time representatives of Jesus Christ. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, 
I think next year is 366 days. You don't get off the hook for that one either. Okay? So having said that, Jesus allows this man to walk away. Now think about that for a minute. There's something in, in each of us that, that might want to rebel. I mean, I want to rescue this guy, don't you? I want to compel him to follow Jesus. Is that work? Is that going to work? Um, I've been reading a couple of books recently, Toxic Charity by Robert D. Lupton and When Helping Hurts by Steve Corbett and Brian Fickert. The thesis of both books is that sometimes our efforts uh, to help someone end up hurting someone. So I know Tom's shoes has moved away from the model of giving a pair to someone every time someone buys a pair. But here's an example, all right? Let's say Tom's comes to a neighborhood in Africa. Let's say they give away a pair for every pair they sell someone. What happens to a local shoemaker? What happens to a local shoemaker? Right? So I'm glad Tom's has moved away from that model, uh, though I think they did it because they were in danger of bankruptcy. <laughs> All right? But in Lupton's book, he provides an oath for compassionate service. Never do for the poor what they have or could have the capacity to do for themselves. Limit one-way giving to emergency situations. Strive to empower the poor through employment, lending, and investing using grants sparingly to reinforce achievements. Subordinate self-interest to the needs of those being served. Listen closely to those you seek to help, especially to what is not being said. Unspoken feelings may contain essential clues to effective service. And above all, do no harm. I believe that we... Uh, I love that we support missionaries around the world and here in the United States, including Southern California. I think that our mission giving is noble, but sometimes it's easy to check the box, right? And say, hey, we made a, we made a contribution, you know, from our church. We gave to all these missionaries. Um, at, but I, you know, at the same time, we may miss our calling as full-time missionaries for Jesus Christ. And I love that many of us in the congregation are embracing our calling as full-time missionaries for Jesus Christ. I see that in many of you, and I'm deeply grateful. And I'm, I'm grateful for our local mission team and our global mission team. I think spent four hours with joy yesterday. That was pretty awesome. I know that Jesus let the rich young ruler walk away, and I'm deeply challenged by that. He didn't chase him. He didn't compel him. And Jesus, of all people, right, being fully God and fully human, could have compelled this man to follow. But he didn't. And it becomes so easy to look at the motives of the individual and to miss the challenges for each of us. I don't want to miss the challenges for me. I don't want to miss the challenges for me. I go back to the words of Dr. Imes when she says that we take the Lord's name in vain whenever we fail to represent him in the world. For this young man... The issue was his great wealth. But for many of us, the issue may be our, way, our great wealth compared to the resources of the world. But your issue may be something else that holds you back from becoming a full-time 
missionary for Jesus Christ. It might be money or sex or power or popularity or influence with others or something else. You know, what might be holding you back? What might be holding you back today from becoming a full-time missionary of Jesus Christ? So here are these words, uh, first from the disciples, and then from Jesus in Mark chapter 10, verses 26 and 27. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And all things are, are indeed possible with God who loved us and he gave his life up for us on our behalf that we might become part of the emerging kingdom of God here on earth and ultimately see its fulfillment in a new heaven and new earth. I long for that day, but I want to be a part of God's missionary spirit right now. I want to be a part of that now. So I want to touch on the last verses of the passage, Mark chapter 10, verses 28 through 31. Then Peter spoke up, I said, we have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last. And the last first. Now, to be honest, right, Peter is being bold. But I, I don't think he's actually left everything to follow Jesus, right? Um, he's not left his stubbornness. He has not left his hard-heartedness. Uh, in Mark chapter 14, Jesus will predict uh, that Peter will deny that he knows Jesus and Peter will live to regret that. Again, it's so easy for me to challenge what someone else is doing, especially somebody who lived and died 2,000 years ago, right? But what about me? What have I left behind to follow Jesus? What have you left behind to follow Jesus? Um, in some ways, you know, we've all left everything behind. But in other ways, I don't think so much. The culture around us may be post-Christian, but we can still go to, choose to go to church, and we go. You're, look at you. You're all here. Yeah, I'm so glad. But for many of us, being a follower of Jesus has been helpful to our career. I know someone who was a real estate agent who was not a follower of Jesus but went to a large church because they could find clients there. And I, I'm guessing that there are aspects of that for all of us, whether we're believers or not. Opportunities that, to connect with others that benefit us. Opportunities that challenge us. I love what... Jesus says about the present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. That's been my experience. I've gained brothers and sisters in Christ. Men and women, children, youth, and encouragement. I've been welcomed into homes. I've been graciously received by many of you who have been happy to introduce yourself to me some several times. And I trust that God does have eternal life for all of us. 
because of God's grace and mercy through Jesus Christ. But hear the words that Jesus says about persecution. We will be persecuted. Now those are sobering words. My sense is that the church in the United States of America is not at the point of being persecuted. We have been annoyed. We have been annoyed. 900 churches in Indonesia being burned to the ground, that's persecution. The suffering of Christians who are tortured and suffer and die in places like Iran and in China, that's persecution. So here are the final words of Jesus in this passage. Many who are first will be last and the last first. This is radical subversion of the gospel of the kingdom of God. The first are last, the rich are poor, the lowly are elevated. For we, in one of the wealthiest nations of the world, we should take caution from these words because we are the rich young ruler, each one of us. Our hope is indeed in the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Our hope is found in the reversal of all things that seem to be part of the power structure of the world. Let's remember the counsel of Mark chapter 10, verse 45. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's approach our lives with that same mentality of service. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, um, we know that uh, we live in an amazingly beautiful country, and we have benefited from all of the benefits of that culture and, and our country, and we thank you. And at the same time, God, we know that you have called us into full-time service for you as missionaries for Jesus Christ. Um, we don't know where to start. Would you help us? Would you help us to serve our, our neighbors, to serve our families? Would you make us humble? Would you challenge us? Would you challenge us to take a risk? To take a step of faith? to trust you. And we thank you, Lord, for who you are and for all you've done for us because we know that we are saved only because of your grace and mercy. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.